This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I am Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Texas. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for June 9th, episode 2950. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite day of the week? Never stop learning, never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse. Exciting, knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. And welcome back, everybody. This is the monthly get together. Usually it's Mary and I, sometimes it's Glenn and Mary. We get together and geek out on all things horse training. And the first thing we do each month when we get together, because we don't talk at all between shows, is catch up on everybody's latest adventures. And Mary, in true Horse Radio Network show host tradition, always has really good adventures. <laughs> yeah, I, I never go looking for them. They just kind of happen. They come to you. So before we do this, when the, t- today's adventures are adventures with the cone of shame, so for people who are not regular Mary Kitzmiller listeners, shame on you if you aren't, bring us up to speed on who is involved with the Cone of Shame adventures and why. So it is my fabulous dog, Echo. She is my Belgian Malinois, and um, I finally got her spayed, um, which even the decision of when to do that caused me sleepless nights because, you know, when I was... When I was younger, you take your dog in when they're pretty young and just whenever the vet said. And of course, um, the with the adventure of invention of Facebook and social media, now you've got everyone saying, No, you need to wait, you know, this long, you, you know, or never do it or do it early. And so I was like, When do I get this done? Because I definitely wanted to have it done. Um, and so, yeah, so we'll finally. Pulled the trigger. She's uh, like a year and eight months now. Um, had her spayed. And when you have a dog that has surgery, they have to be, you know, they have to rest. And they have to, you know, pre- you have to protect that incision and everything. But being that she's a Belgian Malinois, which is like a border collie on crack cocaine, um, <laughs> that's a tall order. And yeah. Yeah, so she got sent home in the typical cone of shame. And I'm thinking like a few days. So I asked how long she needs to be in it. And she, the lady goes, 14 days. And she was at it. 14 days? 14 days. And Dang. I'm like, what? Um, so it's been exactly a week now. So she hasn't learned spatial awareness with the cone. And so you could probably hear her in the background. She's walking around crashing into everything with this cone. Um, and so immediately I thought, I can't, I can't get this cone on her. So like a good dog mom, I ordered her these post-surgical pajamas and a 
an inflatable donut because everyone on Facebook was like, oh, you got to get the donut, get the donut. So it's this big inflatable donut that goes around their neck, which lasted four hours because (laughs) I should have, my brain turned off. I should have thought, they call these dogs malligators because they're just nothing but teeth and chewing. That's just what they do. And so she immediately popped it and ate it and... So we went back to the cone of shame and the pajamas didn't do anything. She can reach right into the pajamas and lick her incision. So that's what we're dealing with now. It's, it's a bit of stress, but we're okay. We're okay. <laughs> so she's back to the ugly plastic one that the cone of shame that they give, give you at the vet. Yes. Yes. And, um, as we're doing this show, I've seen she has somehow, got it to unfasten so like i'm looking at her out of the corner of my eye like don't you take that off your face um (laughs) yeah and you know you're supposed to keep the dog quiet and they're not supposed to jump on furniture and yeah no that she's like spider-man right now so but she's okay everything's fine i figured if she didn't feel good she would tone it down maybe or not or not yeah you know how Sometimes when horses have to go on stall rest, they have this um, long-acting pseudo-sedative stuff that they give them to help keep them from bouncing off the walls. They need to have that for Belgian Malinois, specifically. Yeah, they do have sedatives that they did offer, but the vet was like, I really hate putting them on too many sedatives. You know, really hate doing that over and over and over again. So I decided not to do that. Um, but she's been pretty good. I mean, for the first week she stayed really quiet and subdued and she's scratching at her cone now and, uh, yeah, making tons of noise, but yeah, now she's starting to go back to her normal self and yeah. So one more week of this so much fun. <laughs> well, adventures continue. There's always something that you need to get for your dog, your cat, your horse. So speaking of that, horseware is a great place to get all of those things. In the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the Ice Vibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimize swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, Ice Vibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe. You can find out more details about Ice Vibe at ice-vibe.com or horseware.com. Or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe Circulation Therapy from Horseware. So the second thing we do on every show after we get catch up on adventures is get Mary's training tip. And every month, Mary's training tip is inspired by something interesting that happened in her universe. So what is our tip and what inspired it? Uh, so the tip is finding balance, which can mean about a billion things, but it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, it actually has to do with deciding what you're going to work on every ride. 
And this is inspired by um, what I'm currently working on with Remington, but also I've been giving lessons to uh, this really great young writer who is involved with a mule makeover competition. So it's these youth are youth kids are given um, untrained mules and they have so many days to get the mule started and riding. And then there's, it's called the Missouri mule makeover. Um, so he's already just done an amazing job all on his own. And I've just come in for a lesson every few weeks just to, just to give some advice here or there. Um, but what we were working on the last lesson is uh, he's already got this mule doing some really impressive sliding stops. And um, on top of that, you know, you're trying to uh, teach your horse or mule all these amazing things. And so he's got all this other stuff he wants to teach his mule to do, like side passing and spins and this and that and the other and lead changes and all of this. And so the last lesson, I noticed that um, – the mule, the stops were amazing, but th- when you work on stops over and over and over again, your horse or mule starts to kind of anticipate that, like, we're going to stop, we're going to stop, we're going to stop. And in that, when that happens, you sacrifice the quality of movement because they start kind of loping around like they're on a pogo stick because they're expecting to stop every yes. stride. Yes. So, yeah. So, my advice was, to him was, your stops are perfect. Don't work on them. Put him away. You, you know, leave those alone for a while. Anytime you need to slow him down, just break him down. Which, when I say break them down, I mean let them come to a stop gently. So, if you're cantering, you go canter, 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 trot, trot, walk, stop. And um, that way you save uh, you save them physically because, you know, a horse or mule only has so many stops that they have in their lifetime. So, don't, you know, don't waste those big sliding stops, if, especially yeah, that, if they're working great. Yeah, it's equivalent to show jumpers. You only have so many jumps in them. So when you get your show jumper and they're, I'm going to use my air quotes, made, you don't just keep jumping giant jumps when you school them. You you school exactly. and, you, and you work on those details, but you don't jump big jumps. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Or like a Grand Prix dressage rider, they don't go out every single day and ride their entire routine. They're not going to go and do those huge maneuvers like every single one of them, every ride. Right. Because um, yeah. that's a lot. Uh, you know, that's a lot mentally and physically for them to do. So you might have 20 things that you want to work on your horse uh, to teach them, or you might have 50 things. It's probably closer to 50. Um but you don't want to go out and work on those things every day. So pick two or three. Don't pick two or three of the hardest, most intense maneuvers you can teach. Pick one that's pretty difficult or one that's that's new and you haven't taught before. And pick two other things that are more familiar and easier to work on. And that's where the finding the balance comes in. Um and so I tend to like to pick uh, a exercise that involves them moving out. So work on, maybe I'll work on my extended walk one day. Like I really want to get that extended walk really well or that extended lope or that extended trot. Um, and I'll, I'll, it's a great warm up. I'll warm them up by doing long straight lines across my pasture, across my arena, just getting them to stretch those muscles out. And then maybe the other thing I want to work on, uh, I'll pick a lateral or a suppling exercise. So that could be your side passing, moving the shoulders, moving the hindquarters, 
So you might work on um, the collected walk or collected trot, collected canter. With Remington right now, I am working on the my main focus, the real difficult maneuver that I've chosen to focus on is lead changes because that's always been really hard for him. And because lead changes are very difficult and require a great deal of mental and physical energy for him, I'm really doing a little bit of warm-up. So on our warm-up, we're working on um, our extended walk, and I'll draw him to a stop with my reins. So we'll walk out, ask him to stop and soften, um, and then I'll trot him just to get him a little warmed up, and then lead changes. And then as soon as he gives me one or two each way, I'm done. Because if I went out tomorrow and I said, okay, Remy, let's do those lead changes and our sliding stops and our spins and our backups, he would go insane. And I doubt he would let me on him the next day. It would just, <laughs> it's a lot for them to focus on. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's a little bit like when you were in school and you got homework. If you got homework from three different subjects, but all three of those subjects were stuff that you enjoyed and liked and found enjoyable to do you wouldn't mind so much but if you got homework from three different subjects and all three of them were classes that you really despised it would be a completely different experience wouldn't it yes which was my entire school experience because i didn't like <laughs> many of them <laughs> i liked history and art there you go i liked a lot of my classes but i still sucked <laughs> yeah i i got good grades but I did not enjoy it. It was not an enjoyable experience. <laughs> <laughs> so we can all relate, people. Just yes. uh, look back for when you were in, in high school or elementary school or college or whatever, when you had those those weeks that you had a lot of homework that really sucked. How you felt about, A, getting it done, and B, the amount of emotional energy it sucks up it's not just the physical energy because a lot of times it's like well my horse is plenty fit enough they have tons of energy the emotional energy it takes so that the next time you come back the horse is gone and he's going to wag his finger at you you know that really sucked i had to work my little brain so hard last time you were out just give me a break here yeah i get that that makes perfect sense yeah, and the second part of that, and this is something I was told, well, there's three parts. So the second tiny part of that is if once, like with Remy, once the lead changes is working, I'm going to put him in a drawer for a while and say, let's let's just let you soak on that. And we are not going to work on them for a few weeks. And we're going to come work on something else and just let him have a break from that. Because, man, he finally figured it out. He's doing great. Don't I don't need to keep drilling on it. Uh, the only thing I'll do is just start messing it up again. So I'll put it away, <laughs> put it in a drawer and work on something else. And then the thing that I, uh, me and countless young assistant trainers always got told and we always were like, this isn't going to work. Our bosses would come and watch us like drilling and drilling on our colts every day. And they would tell us, just give them a loose rein and go for a ride. Like, just go go for a trail ride. And as someone who was hyper-focused on training the best horse I could, I hated hearing that because I was like, no, he's not doing it right. And I need to work harder on it. And all you, the trainer who has been around the block and has seen a thing or two and ridden a horse or two can see that this horse, his cup is running over right now. He is full. He cannot take any more. And the best training for him was not to train. Ride him on a loose rein. I don't care if his head's too high or too low or if he's, you know, I don't care where his headset is. I don't care if he's slightly too fast or slightly too slow. 
just go somewhere, just, just ride them and just leave them alone and go somewhere. And it doesn't feel like training because you're not putting all the effort into drilling on them, but it is training. You're giving them a mental break and you're letting them just, just decompress and move out. And every single horse needs that. And I have to tell myself that, like, I know after I work on these lead changes, Remy's going to need some time where we just go out in the pasture and we ride over here and we don't really do much. And that's it. There you go. Ideal. Perfect. Dun, dun, dun. So that's interesting. And I'm, I'm thinking about how, Finding balance plays into what Nigel and I are up to right now. Nigel being my, he never made it to the track, off-track thoroughbred. And our big project for the summer, because living in Ocala, Florida, with a horse who is partially anhydrotic, I guess that's the right word. He has anhydrosis partially. There's no working in the summertime. You You have to really, really be careful and take it easy. But we are, knock on wood getting a new horse trailer and the horse trailer is a slant load step up and Nigel came with loading and trailering issues. And I'm well aware of that. And the horse trailer we have now has a ramps and B the ramp you walk in the front or in the back and out the front. So we made it as easy as possible for him. And he's gotten quite competent at that. So our summertime project is get comfortable in small baby steps with in the end, getting into a step-up slant load horse trailer and getting back out of it happily. The current process is teaching him to walk forward towards something he might not like or towards a fence straight. Because you know how the first thing horses do when they get into horse trailers is turn their butts to the side, you know? It's like, oh, I can't possibly get in. I'm sideways, right? That's their favorite. Yes, exactly. And then to do the same backwards, to take steps back one at a time in a straight line. Very difficult because by nature, he does not back up straight, period. That's not in his DNA. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we've gotten to the point now that one of the things we do is we have a big old cowboy curtain at the barn and he walks through it and we can stop and we can back up. But The backing up part, those steps back, we really struggled with the straight. He would go left or right after one hoof move. And don't know what happened because we practice lots of other things that use those same skills. The other day, walked into the cowboy curtain, stopped, asked for a step back. And for the first time ever, he interacted with the curtain. Because before, the curtain was there, and he would put his ears up, especially when we first started doing a lot of work with this. Ooh, there it is. It makes funny noises, and it tickles a lot. So you could see him reacting in a way that told me he was stressed about it. But now he genuinely interacts with it. He'll turn his head around and grab one of the little things and pull on it. Interesting. Yeah. And he is by nature a curious horse. He's one of those horses, if you walk him down the aisleway of a barn, he will grab every halter off of every peg, knock over every single bucket, stick his head in the trash can. He's that guy. But when it came to the cowboy curtain and most of the other obstacles that you would typically see in a trail course, he would navigate them or negotiate them, but he wouldn't interact with them. Mm -hmm. So I found that really interesting. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. I see it as a sign of he's finding it less threatening, perhaps. I think you're right because yeah. yeah. I think you're right. He feel he doesn't he doesn't feel like okay, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do this because I'm being asked and I'm a good egg, and there might be a reward at the end of it, and that's starting to dissipate. Which really, I was very hopeful with that. Yay! <laughs> so I find one, that the tighter their mouth is, the more nervous they are, and the more they're trying to avoid being in this situation right now. Interesting. Um, I've noticed it a lot. That's where your licking and chewing comes from. Um, licking and chewing, it, it's, uh, it's kind of, it can be a good sign. Um, but really what you're seeing is everything was really tight and I was really stressed and now that's over and I'm going to oh, lick, chew, lick, chew, lick, chew, lick, chew. And I will see it like with these little mini meals I'm working. Um, Samuel, the one of them is extremely awesome and he doesn't care and he's totally tame. The other is the like a wild hare. And I feed them lots of treats as I'm, you know, uh, teaching them things because I use a lot of positive reinforcement. And I can tell when Baxter, the other one, who's really wild, I can tell when I've I'm over threshold with him because he's like, I don't want to treat. I don't want to treat. Don't give it to me. And I could like pry his mouth open and shove it in there. And he's like, nope, not opening my mouth. And yeah. And when he gets through that little spot, all of a sudden he'll be like, okay, I'll take a treat. And he's like really loose with his mouth. And so I would take, I just guessing, I would take that kind of mouthy playfulness, like, oh, I'm going to grab this halter. And he's doing it with the obstacles now is kind of the same thing. Whereas before he's like, I'm going to do it because I'm a good boy, but it's still kind of scary to now he's like, oh yeah, noodles, cowboy curtain. Great. Everything's fine. Interesting. So I can use that as a gauge to help me because he's another one of those so many horses. Um, there's over threshold and there's over threshold. You know, there's mm -hmm. the over the threshold that, oh my goodness, he's going to kill me. We, we have that. But he has a lot of over threshold that he, he kind of keeps to himself. For example, okay, I'm going to do this. And for example, when he's in the horse trailer, he has become competent at getting into his current horse trailer. He walks into it without much fuss or he stops at the ramp and he has to beat on the ramp with his hoof and then he walks in. But once he's in there, he will not take a cookie. Mm -hmm. And exactly. I, again, I do a lot of positive reinforcement too. So he's used to click and cookie. He, that's something that's part of his life. He will eat some of, he will eat some hay while he's in there with his pony scooter, but he has zero interest in anything that he normally finds yummy. So looking at this process now where he's starting to interact with his obstacle work, which is there to help him become more comfortable with closed spaces and things touching him and moving forward and back straight that being inside the horse trailer, despite the fact that he's competent at getting in and out of it and not outwardly over threshold. Indeed he is. Exactly. And that <sighs> is a very scary zone because that is that spot where the horse seems to be fine, but really on the inside they're going, ah! Um, <laughs> that's where we tend to get in accidents with our horses. I can't tell you how yeah. many stories I've heard of, um, my horse was going along the trail just fine. Next thing you know, I'm on the ground and the helicopter's coming to get me. And, you know, he never has done this ever. He's, he's done this a million times and all of a sudden it was, he wasn't fine or, uh, you know, 
I hear co- uh, often, the last thing I remember was getting my rain slicker out. Uh, so, <laughs> yes, you know, yeah. rain slicker. <laughs> it's easy to look at a horse that looks like a horse kite. They're eight feet in the air and go, hmm, he's not mentally well right now. But and so we can tell I'm not getting on that horse. But there's a lot of horses going around out there that on the outside, they look really chill. But on the inside, there's internal screaming that we're not hearing. And that's those are the horses. That's where we get hurt. And um, sometimes even I have a real difficult time. Like, are you cool? Are we cool? Is everything cool? Um, and maybe 99% of the time, nothing's ever going to happen. Um, but sometimes there's that that one thing that sends them over and they go from, he was fine. He was totally fine to all of a sudden he exploded. Um, so yeah. And sometimes what you do to get your horse through it, sometimes you have to back off. Um, but sometimes it's just general repetition. And then one day they're like, Oh, I'm okay with this. You want to make sure you don't get them to the point where they're completely and, you know, utterly shut down because they can't learn in that zone. But yeah, there's, I've got a few, well, like with that mini mule, every time I put that halter on, he goes for a few minutes of, he's just like deer in the headlights and he's not like, he's just closed up shop. He's on screensaver. And so I know I'm not going to go any further, but we've got to get through this. And then there'll be that moment in our training where he goes, and you can see it. You can see it in their eyes. They'll take a deep breath. They'll, their ears will relax. Their eye, you know, they'll start blinking or maybe licking and chewing or, you know, just everything feels looser. And yeah, looking for those signs is really tricky, but really important. Yeah. And it, it never would have occurred to it. I never noticed that he didn't interact with the obstacles till he started to Uh, interact with the obstacles. Yay us. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a good sign. Now, I will say, and I know you know this, but just to get this out to our listeners, I like that a horse wants to interact with obstacles. I won't punish them for doing it, but I I won't really allow too much of it because you can end up in a bind if all of a sudden your horse is like, I want to grab the hold of this tarp. And all of a sudden the tarp goes from something that was cool and interesting to now your horse is running across the pasture with a tarp in its mouth. So... I I will just gently say no. Don't I? You can look at it. You can smell it. You can nose a little bit. We're not going to bite it. Um, I so don't, don't reward want, biting the the cowboy. Yeah, just, okay. just kind of pull them away from that. I like for them to smell. I like for them to inspect. Uh, the other thing I won't let them do specifically with the tarp on the ground is paw at it, because then they paw at it, bring it up under their belly, and they're like, "Wah!" And so look what I've done. Yeah, and like I said, I'm not going to punish them for it. They're trying to interact with their environment, so I don't want to make them feel bad for it. But I am going to be like, no, we're we're going to stop that now. And then, you know, uh, another practical reason is if I'm in the show pen and I'm doing a trail class, I don't want them to pull all the flowers out of the uh, the flower box as we're going over it. It's not it's frowned upon yeah. by the judge. There you go. <laughs> Well, we're going to take a quick break here and hear from another one of our sponsors. And when we get back, we're going to answer some listener questions. Woo-hoo. Well, Trust Design says, ditch the boring. Just because halters are pretty much the most utilitarian item in your kit doesn't mean they should look boring. Halters should be beautiful. 
Be the first in your barn to have halter style on point with a Trust Design halter. They are truly one-of-a-kind designer halters. Visit TrustDesign.com. That's spelled T-R-V-S-T Design.com. So this is the Q&A part. This is where Mary takes listener questions and answers them on the show. And if you want to have a listener question on the show, <laughs> you, need be, you need to be a Horse Radio Network auditor. If you want to be a Horse Radio Network auditor, just go to horseradionetwork.com or horsesinthemorning.com. Click on the auditor banner and you can find out how to do that. So take it away. Who's our first question and what is it? Uh, we're going to go with Carly's question, and that is, how do you know when a Mustang is ready to be ridden? Um, I will explain my checklist with the caveat that I have sometimes been wrong on um, <laughs> deciding when they're ready to be ridden. But <laughs> don't I'm say those better. things when I have a mouthful of water. I know. All over my microphone. <laughs> but I'm getting better. Um, yeah, so every trainer who starts horses has their own checklist. I have ridden with guys who are like, 15 minutes of groundwork, he's good. And they get on. And I'm like, how? And I would say the the time uh, and intensity of groundwork is inversely proportionate to how good you are at riding a buck. So uh, the guy know who's like, 15 minutes of groundwork, he's good to go. I, I don't think I've ever seen horses buck with him. He's very, very good. But if that happens, he can ride it, and it's not even a big deal. Like, he's just he's just like, ah, whatever. Let's stop bucking now. And then his horses just stop, and it's amazing. I am not that talented. Um, I cannot ride a buck. I'm horrible at it. I don't want it to happen ever. So the amount of time I spend on the ground is much longer than what he does. So it depends on how good you are helping your horse once you're on their back. There are people who they don't care if they book and they can ride it and they're ready for it. There are people who are so good that the horse just never even thinks about it. And they're that that's how good a rider they are. Aspire to be that person. But I know if they book, I'm coming off. I don't like it. Um, I'm not like other people. Pain hurts me. So, <laughs> um, so I'll share with you some of the things I personally look for. Um, I would say that uh, the horse needs to be able to move out freely at the walk, trot, and canter on the ground, whether that is on the lunge line or in the round pen, um, is up to you. Define okay. what freely might look like. Oh, good question. So if I ask them into a lope, they just roll into it. It's not a pokey, prodi. I have to keep bugging them every stride to keep them loping, but it's not running off to where I'm just looking at a horse blur in the round pen. So it's blur. this forward. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be able to see all the details of the horse as he's loping. So you know, that the speed is different for every horse, but you can tell the difference between a horse that is running, like I'm running away from something, and a horse that's just moving out. You just see it in their shoulders and the way they go. Um, 
and it should be easy. It should be easy to take my horse from walk to trot to canter. Um, I should not have to really bug them to do that. If I find I'm constantly having to click, 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 nag, 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 you know, wave stuff around to get them to go, then I need to work on that before I think about getting on. Because as difficult as it might be on the ground to get your horse to move forward, it's going to be that much harder under saddle, especially with a horse that's never been ridden. They're going to want to not go or they're going to freak out and want to go really, really fast if they're, you know, if they're scared. So it should just, I should be able to just stretch those gates out easily. Um, it's scary if you get on a horse and you can't make them go anywhere. They get stuck in the ground. They get stuck in their tracks. And then you have to keep adding pressure to get them to go from their back. And when they do go, it's like they stepped on a landmine. So we don't want that. Um, and this hat needs to happen both with and without the saddle. It's very important they can do it with the saddle. Because, again, these are young horses. So when you start wrapping, strapping things around them, especially a Western saddle, which I have two cinches on mine, that makes them want to just go and get real claustrophobic and they don't want to move out. So I need to work on that because then when I get on, I'm going to add to that difficulty for them. They need to move out. That is, I'd say that's one of the top things. Um, go. Yeah. yeah. On the flip side, I need to be able to shut them down from the ground easily at all three gates. Um, I use yielding their hindquarters because that's how I'm going to do it from their back. That's my one rein stop. So I need to be able to, if that horse is loping around at a pretty good clip, I need to be able to say, we're stopping now. And they stop and they soften and they pay attention and they're like, got it. If they can't do that on the ground, I'm not getting on because, again, going to be that much harder on their back. Um, there's about a million more other things I could go on to into this for the rest of the hour. But I will say um, another big one is um, they need to be uh, okay with things that move and make a noise all around every single body part, especially in that area uh, where the rider's going to be. Like, because they're that's the first time when you get on, they're going to see you behind their eyes and kind of up in the air. That's a scary angle for a horse to see something. Because what other kind of animals um, do that to them? It's like mountain lions and grizzly bears, right? They're gonna, I'm gonna jump at you. And grab hold, you know, so we want to make sure that they're okay. So I do lots of things like waving the flag up there. Um, I do lots of desensitizing with flags and ropes and sticks and strings and um, feed sacks and what have you. I make sure they're desensitized to the saddle. If I walk up to you and flop your stirrup up and down, are you going to freak out? They don't have to be perfect with it. They don't have to stand perfectly like a statue. But if I go up to the horse and I flap his stirrups and he kind of walks away a little bit, I look at that and I'm like, I can ride that. If he explodes bucking, then I'm like, I cannot ride that. We need to keep going with this before I get on. Um, and then I will say the, the second part of desensitizing is everyone has been taught desensitize the horse till they stand still and relax. That's part of it. But how many times have you come off a horse that was standing completely still? I have once, but that's another story. Um, but it's not, it doesn't happen often. Normally what happens is the horse's feet are already in motion. Then something scares them. We try to put a rain slicker on when we're on the trail and then they explode. So they need to also be desensitized to things while they're moving. Extremely important. So that's a bit of a difficult subject to get into, but I teach my horse while you're walking around, if I wave this flag around, 
Your job is just to keep walking. So whatever your feet are doing, when I wave something around or flap your stirrup or make some noise, your job is to keep doing what you are doing. If you were standing still, remain still. If you're walking, keep walking. If you're loping, keep loping. If you're trotting, keep trotting. And that some horses that takes a lesson, some horses it takes six months. And again, I don't demand that they be absolutely perfect, but anytime my horse gives me any kind of reaction to something I'm doing, I look at that and I'm like, can I ride that? If he does that when I'm on him, will I make it? And if all he does is kind of move away a little bit and he settles right down, I'm like, okay, I could get on him today and we're probably going to be okay. There you go. Well, yeah, and that's going to be slightly different for each rider, but I suspect that the more big green check marks you can put on those criteria, the less criteria you're going to lose because sometimes when you introduce a new skill set or a new something to your horse, what they've already got, you lose a little bit of, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the less of those experiences the horse has, where he goes over threshold and loses previously um, good skills, they they diminish a little bit. The less that happens, the more less you're going back. It's a little bit like I'm gonna, I'm using a lot of school references today. They do all these studies that when students go on summer vacation, they lose some skills, so that when they go back in, there has to be a certain amount of reviewing going on to catch up mm-hmm. again. So the less of that that happens, the more smoothly the whole thing's going to go. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Lots of repetition and, um, you know, and, and when we talk about threshold, that's the, that's the point where if the horse goes over it, he's in fight or flight. He can't learn there. That's where dangerous things happen. Below threshold is, I feel so relaxed. I'm going to graze with my buddies and I'm not going to look for trouble. So right at that threshold, when we're training, we often want to bring that horse to that point, not pushing them over. It's tricky. And we want them to live in that little scary zone right before they go over that threshold for just a little bit. And we tell them, when you're in this spot, I'm going to help you through this. This is what you do. And when they figure it out, then we bring them back down. And lots of bringing them up there and then down and up and down and up and down. That is where you're going to get a lot of learning and you're going to start giving your horse the stamina and capability to you know, when I'm riding one day and a plastic bag blows across the trail, I'm giving them the mental capacity and strength to go, I don't think I need to react to that. Um, Because I do a lot of those, what I call fire drills on the ground beforehand, like with my flag, like I'll wave it a little too vigorously one day. I'm like, sometimes something's going to happen and it's going to make a noise like this. And what are you going to do? And I teach him what to do. If you don't feel safe enough to stand still, that's okay. Here's how you move your feet. That is going to keep us both alive. You're going to yield your hindquarters. You're going to soften. You're going to pay attention to me, and we're going to figure this out. And then I'm going to bring, take the flag away and love on him and reward him and let him just oh, lick and chew and lick and chew and relax. And, you know, we'll do relaxing stuff for a few minutes, and then we're going to come back up to that scary spot again. So the more times you can take that horse up and down that gentle roller coaster, the better you're preparing them. Thank you for the great question, Carly. Who's next? Okay. So we have a couple of questions that we're asking about preparing a horse's 
feet to be picked up. Um, there's one from Aaron who has a horse that has some trouble with kicking when people try to handle her hind legs. And she's been trimmed with sedation, so she doesn't need to be trimmed ASAP. But obviously, you want to figure out how to fix this. Um, so when it comes to feet handling, we tend to think, I got to get that foot picked up. But there's a whole other realm of stuff you can work on before you get to the scary part where the horse is kicking. Um, so with the back feet specifically, um, I will find a spot where I can start with the horse and the horse is like, I'm totally fine with this. So sometimes that's higher up the leg. Sometimes it's all the way up on their hips. Sometimes I got to start at their wither. So sometimes a horse that is kicking with their hind feet, they don't even want you to stand by their shoulder. Um and we only see that it's a big problem when we try to get to the back feet and they're kicking. So uh, I like to use uh, one of those horsemanship sticks, one of those little fiberglass uh, sticks that you can get from any tax store now. Um, and why I like that is the rigidity of it. I don't know if that's a word. I like that a little bit better than a dressage whip, but you can use a long dressage whip. Um the length of it is a perfect extension of my arm. So I will start petting the horse with that stick um, in an area that can handle it. I usually, if I'm thinking about the back feet, I'll start behind their withers. If they're okay with that, I'll advance. So I'll start working my way down their back a little bit. If they're okay with that, I'll keep going. Um, the, I'm eventually going to hit a spot on that horse where they're like, mm, I don't know about that. And you'll see signs. They might raise their head. They might tense up. They might decide, I want to get away from this and start moving around. So when that happens, I'm going to stay right in that zone. I'm not going to go any further. And I'm going to wait until they go, uh, okay, I'm fine with this. And they're going to stop and I want to see them relax. So that could be lowering their head, licking their lips, blinking eyes, cocking a hind leg, but not in a I'm going to kick you type of way, like relaxing way. And when they go there, I'm going to retreat back to the safe zone. So I'm going to go right back to the withers and then advance to that scary spot again and then go back and advance to that scary spot again and go back until that scary spot. They're like, I'm okay with this. So okay, then I'm going to go take a, little... a break there. Yes. So you advance to the scary spot. What am I, what am I getting wrong if I advance to the scary spot and the scary spot gets scarier, the behavior gets worse, or the scary spot happens sooner than it did previously? What have I done wrong? Depending on how wild the horse is, for instance, if it's a wild Mustang, like the mule Baxter that I'm working, I currently can't get behind his shoulders safely. So that's just where I'm going to stay. That's He's telling me that's where the problem is. Obviously, if I try to back, grab his back feet, he's going to kick out. But the real problem is much closer to his shoulders. Um so that's just where we will stay. And I might have to repeat that a hundred times. I might have to do that over several days, but I'm going to do it thoroughly and like just repeat it enough to where he, he's bored to tears with it. And he's like, what, what do you got next? And then I'll say, okay, let's go down your hip a little bit. And I work on that so on and so forth. And uh, I'll go down, you know, uh, down towards his hock, you know, and then always retreat, always go back. And I keep the stick on them the whole time. Um, so I rub it in an area that's a little scary until they can accept it and then go back. Now, once you start getting to those back legs, which we know is where they react, 
um, I want you to make sure you're standing at the horse's shoulder, that the, you have um, a loose enough hold on them that you're not pulling on them or forcing them to stand still, but you need to have about eight inches between the horse's halter and your hand. So that's loose enough that you're not really holding on to them. But if they move, you can easily control that. So let's say you do get to a spot where your horse wants to move. What you need to do is you need to lift your hand that's holding lead rope up and get those hindquarters to swing away from you. So you do that by tipping their nose towards you and lifting that hand up, if that makes sense, and just stay at their shoulder. And that Motion should get the horse to move around in a small yielding circle rather than running forward. Because if they run forward, now they can kick you. You need to be very aware of that. Good kind of homework. Who's next? Uh, Let's go with Kara's question. And she said, how to best set my horse up for success? When she comes back from the trainer, she sent her three-year-old away back in May. She will be gone for about two months. How can I help ensure success when she's back home? That's a great question. Um, I would say, uh, one, is it possible that you can go visit your horse while they're in training and watch them being trained and talk with your trainer and maybe get a lesson with your horse? Um, if that's possible, I would for sure go with that. Um, I would make sure when you go pick up your horse that you get, uh, a lesson with your horse um, and, you know, ask, have questions written down that you want to ask and get a honest assessment from your trainer about where they think the horse is. Do they think the horse is ready for you? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would definitely cover all of those bases. Um, the other thing that I would look into is if your horse got put on a uh, a new diet when they went to the trainer, if, if they were fed the trainer's feeds and, and stuff like that. Uh, if you're happy with the way your horse is looking and behaving on that uh, regimen, I would probably repeat that and have the horse on that when they get home. Because oftentimes maybe what the trainer fed doesn't have as much, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, I've seen where people take their horse home and have fed their horse a lot more than that, what they were getting on the trainer, a lot like richer, maybe a feed that's meant for a racehorse and we have a trail riding horse. Um, so yeah, I would try to keep the diet pretty similar. If the horse was doing great at the trainer and like I said, you like the way the horse looks and everything, I would just, I would keep the horse on that diet because taking them home is a shock and then changing their diet back can be a really big shock as well. Um, the other thing is you want to make sure you have time for that horse, especially if it's a horse you had started. Um, because, uh, I saw a question in a group the other day about, oh, my horse is being so stubborn. You know, they, I can't believe how long it took them to get trained. They had 60 days of training on them and they're not doing this and this and this and this. I'm like, 60 days is nothing. It's nothing. Your horse is still a baby. They can still do things that are scary after 60 days. They can still do things that are scary after 120 days. Um, I'd say it takes two years before I will start considering a horse reasonably broke. So we obviously we can't all 
send our horse away for two years, but just have, have that idea that you're still working with a young green horse, even if they were gone for 60 or 90 or 120 days. So in order to keep that training up, you need to be out there every day, every day that you can working with that horse to maintain that training. Because like with the school analogy earlier, if your horse comes home to you and it's like they're on summer vacation, they're going to forget some stuff if if you're not if you don't do anything with them. So, you know, if that horse was getting ridden six days a week and you ride two days a week, um, I understand if that's all you're able to get out there. You know, a lot of us have full-time jobs and it's really difficult. Um, but, you know, understand that he's going to regress if you go from riding every day to now he's only getting ridden a couple times a week. So get out there as often as you can, even if you can't ride, you know, just be with him, work on his groundwork. Um, and, uh, you know, call your trainer with any questions that you might have. So I would say, try to keep the environment as close to the same as you can with the diet and with, uh, the intensity of the work. You don't have to ride them six days a week, but, you know, try to get that out there as often as possible and keep it up as much as you can. Dun, dun, dun. And thank you very much, Mary Kitzmiller. She, Mary Kitzmiller, the internet universe only gives her 60 minutes of internet a day. <laughs> yes. And thank and you, Elon Musk. I think this thank was you. supposed thank to you, be the Elon best Musk. internet. <laughs> yeah, best internet ever. Uh, thanks for stopping by. For people who want to stalk you appropriately online, hire you for a clinic, ask you to train their horse, order up some really cool custom artwork, etc. Where are they going to find you online? You can find me on Facebook uh, if you search for Mary Kitzmiller Horsemanship. There we go. And where is your artwork found? That is also on Facebook, Troublemaker Trading Company. That's the business my mother and I run. Perfect. See you next month. All right. See ya.